following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave them, gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, IBC. How you doing? Good to see you. Glad to be here. It's going to hit 98 degrees today. Ugh. Terrible boy band, terrible temperature. It's not going to be a good day. But I hope that you have a good Mother's Day. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, I'm excited to, to be opening up God's word with you today. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter two. That's where we'll be, the end of Mark two, beginning of Mark three. Thank you, Jasmine, for reading the scripture. Uh, her name was Mary Artemisia Lathbury. She was born in Manchester, New York in 1841. She lived until 1913. And uh, Mary Artemisia Lathbury was an artist. She was a poet. She was a songwriter. Her father was a Methodist pastor. And uh, earlier in her career, she taught art in Vermont and in New York. But then later in her working years, she kind of moved more into theological work and theological writings. Uh, and in prayer with the Lord, uh, she heard this from God. She said, I heard from the Lord, remember, my child, that you have a gift of weaving fancies into verse and a gift with the pencil of producing visions that come to your heart. Consecrate these to me as thoroughly as you do your inmost spirit. Mary Artemisia Lathbury ended up uh, becoming the general editor for the Methodist Sunday School curriculum. And through that word of God and through her theological writing and work, she ended up pinning uh, many hymns that we love today. One of which you might know, it's called Spring Up, Oh Well. If you don't know this great old hymn, here is the lyrics. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors. It sets the captives free. Yes, I've got a river 
a river of life flowing out of me. Raise your hand if you know that hymn. Yeah, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That river of life was true for Mary Artemisia Lathbury because she was uh, following the giver of life, Jesus himself, our resurrected King and Savior. And Jesus came to give us life. We've been in this series, The Story of Life celebrating in this Easter season that in our relationship with God, not only do we receive salvation and eternal life, but here now a transformed life, a lived experience, living into the way of Jesus that we might experience the life of Jesus. And here's what Jesus said to some religious leaders in John chapter five. He's talking to them and he says, hey, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you'll find eternal life. And he says, but the scriptures themselves lead you to me. They point to me, yet you refuse to come to me, the one who will give you life. So Jesus says, the scriptures lead to me and I lead you to life. And he calls them out saying, hey, you do diligent study of the scriptures and that's great, but let's not stay there. Let's go all the way to Jesus and receive the life that Jesus has for us. And so that's my prayer today. If he's calling him out for that, I'm thinking, hey, why can't we do both? Let's diligently study and let's go to Jesus and receive life today. And so we're gonna be doing that in Mark chapter two and chapter three. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes, really simple. Keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. Keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. Week one of this series, we saw Jesus as the boundary breaker. Week two of this series, we saw Jesus as the shalom maker, the peacemaker. And today we're gonna see Jesus as the people keeper. Australian New Testament scholar, Rick Watts, uh, coined this phrase, Jesus, the people keeper. And uh, because I know Pastor Barry would never do this, uh, I'm gonna do it for him. Uh, This is in his book called Dwell. If you didn't know, Pastor Barry has a book called Dwell and it's really good. Uh, You should read it. It'd be a great uh, Easter season read, but he quotes Rick Watts and uses this term, Jesus, the people keeper. Keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. And so today we're gonna see that. And my question for us as we explore the scriptures is this. What gets in the way of keeping people? Or maybe another way to phrase it is what gets in the way of us experiencing and living into the life that we have been gifted by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit? What gets in the way of people keeping? If you would though, let's pray together as we uh, enter God's word. Father, I thank you for this time together as your church. I pray um, that your word would be truly a light in the dark places for us that your word would truly lead us to Jesus and that Jesus today, we would receive life and life afresh in you. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you and glorifying to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what gets in the way of people keeping? The first thing that gets in the way is the religious heart, the religious heart. This is what happens in Mark chapter two. Jesus and his disciples are walking through grain fields. They pick some grain to eat. And somehow, some way, the Pharisees are there watching to see what they're doing. And they ask Jesus a question. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? To which I would think, is it really unlawful on the Sabbath to eat grain? And the answer is, the Pharisees should know this. No, it's not. Actually, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, Deuteronomy 23, uh, it says that, when you're walking along, uh, you can uh, a grain field, you can take some grain to eat, like a snack. In fact, in that time, they would have the edges of grain field left unharvested so that those who were in need or those who were traveling or those who were hungry could grab some food as long as they didn't take uh, a working tool and take all the food. And so this is totally lawful for the disciples to be doing, but the, the Pharisees asked, 
Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You already start to see this, this potential religious heart coming up in the Pharisees, but let's not get too judgy, too quick about the Pharisees. A little background of them, if you don't know or haven't heard this before, the Pharisees get a bad rap sometimes. Philip Yancey in his book, uh, the, uh, Jesus I Never Knew, says this about the Pharisees. They were the party of the middle class. They were neither separatists like the Essenes, nor collaborators like the Sadducees, nor rebels like the Zealots. The Pharisees held tightly to standards of purity and the law. N.T. Wright notes on the Pharisees in his book, The New Testament and the People of God, that the Pharisees' goals were to honor Israel's God and the following of his covenant charter and the pursuit of the full redemption that was promised to Israel. So the Pharisees, honestly, y'all, Pharisees were kind of like you and me. They were like the people at church on Sunday. They were the ones who wanted to live the story. They were the ones who wanted to honor God and his way and his law that was given to the people of Israel so that they might see the full redemptive promise of God come for the people of Israel and say they were about following the law and making sure that they did it so that God would be honored and that his blessing would come. But sometimes they were misguided and misdirected and this is what's happening here. You see it in their question. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? But in Deuteronomy, it says that you, you can. And here's why. You're not supposed to, to work on the Sabbath in the Old Testament law. And so the Pharisees saw the, the, the reaping of, of grain as an act of work. Because you'd have to work to take the grain and then rub it in your hand to thresh it and get the kernel and then blow off the chaff. And that was all an act of work on the day that God said, is a gift for you not to work that would honor me and bless others. It was a, it was a day that God we see in, in the creative narrative in Genesis chapter one. And then we see it later uh, as part of the redemptive story of Israel when they're flee, uh, freed from slavery. They were given the gift of the Sabbath and God said to keep it holy and to honor this day. And the Pharisees with a good heart said, I wanna keep the religious rules. And then they missed it. They didn't keep the people. They didn't keep the people. It says this, uh, Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did? Mm, I love it. Such irony. Jesus is being so coy here. The people of all people who would have read what David did would have been the Pharisees. And so he's saying to them, hey, I know you're reading the scriptures. You're studying them diligently. But you're kind of missing the point, the life of God and the community of God. Have you never read what David and his companions did? It says this, that David in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, the holy bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And David was a king. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus goes all the way back to one of the great leaders in Israel's national history. And he says, do you not remember when he kind of like broke the rules? You don't remember that? David fleeing with his companions goes to the house of God, eats the holy bread of God, the bread of presence. He also gives some to his companions. And Jesus says it's because they were hungry and in need. A basic human thing. Hungry, in a need. So we have Jesus and David, the disciples and the companions. And Jesus is basically saying like, hey, I'm, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. This is my crew. And they're hungry. And we're eating food. What do you mean unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, 
Keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. Jesus is, is getting at something here with these Pharisees and he basically getting at this. People keeping looks a lot more like prioritizing real basic needs of people over and above what we think God needs from us as his people. Let me say that again. People keeping looks like prioritizing real people's needs over what we think God needs from us religiously. Here's a passage to illustrate this point. Isaiah chapter one, God is frustrated with the people of Israel. And he says this in verses 10 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. God is is likening Israel to these sinful cities of the time and, and calling them out in their sin. He says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And here's... Here's the kicker. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God goes right after Israel and its leaders. And it's saying, he's saying, the things you think I need from you and the very things that God asked them to do in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament covenant law, God says, I have more than enough of the sacrifices. What I don't have enough of is you keeping people because you're focused too much on keeping the religious rules. And you're missing doing what I've asked you to do, doing what I've called you to do, doing the thing that brings you life in in my good world. And that is defending the oppressed and the marginalized, taking up the cause of the fatherless, pleading the case of the widow, learning to do right, seeking justice, all in all, keeping people. Because that's more important than keeping keeping these religious rules. And Jesus says, have you never heard what David did? He broke the rules to keep the people. And we're not really breaking the rules here because I've actually given you this day. I'm the Lord of it. And this is what we do. We meet basic human needs like hunger. My crew is eating a snack. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees don't like it. They have none of it. Paul says this in Acts 17 about this, this idea of God not needing our religious rule keeping. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Isn't it ironic that you and I are called the image of God, called to reflect the character of God, given work to do in the world that's good and creative, like Mary Artemisia Lathbury, who is a poet and an artist and ends up writing hymns that we sing today. 
Isn't it ironic that God says, but I don't need you to serve me. What I'd rather see you do is serve people because in serving people, you glorify me. Later, Jesus would say, love God and love people. And that fulfills all the rules. Jesus ultimately fulfilled all those rules on our behalf. He perfectly loved God and perfectly loved people. He perfectly loves you. And he invites us into this life-giving story of freedom where keeping people is more important than keeping religious rules. The religious heart, and maybe you wrestle with this, like me, stays on the edges of the conversation and judges and critiques and tries to control stays behind the computer screen and types the nasty email or the Facebook comment to critique, but is not really engaged in the face-to-face, person-to-person conversation about things that matter. The, The religious people stay on the edge. The religious heart stays on the edge. The Pharisees were right on the edge of the grain fields, ready to judge, ready to critique, ready to control. And Jesus says, hmm, Have you not read? Do you not know my heart? I was at Chipotle recently and I love Chipotle. I really do. Any Chipotle fans in the house? I know there's, I know there's a few. Okay, cool. Yeah. And if you work at Chipotle, this story, this story, uh, just give me some grace here. Okay. So I go to Chipotle recently to eat. Uh, I was hungry and I was tired. It was the end of the day. I was a bit hangry to be honest. And I walk into this Chipotle And uh, I'm the only one there. It's later in the day. So right after the lunch rush and right before the dinner rush, the only one in this Chipotle, I walk in, I look at the menu, like, hi, um, could I get a chicken quesadilla? To which you would expect a hearty, sure. And then chicken quesadilla comes. But no, not this day. It was an abrupt no. It was like a, oh, sorry, you can't have that. Like we, we can't make that. You can't make a chicken quesadilla. She goes, well, we can, but you have to order it online. Like, I have to order it online. I'm in the store. And she goes, yeah, I know it's silly. We don't have a way to ring it up at the system. And so you have to order online and it'll go to the screen and then I can make it. And I was like, okay. Um, it says kids quesadilla. Could I order a quesadilla? You make it and then we charge double like the kids quesadilla twice. That's probably the same price roughly. She goes, yeah, I know. Sorry, no, we can't. You got to order the quesadilla online if you want that. Okay, so you want me to use my, my phone data? Well, I'm in your store to go online and make an order. It's gonna go to that computer, which can't ring up a chicken quesadilla, but then it's gonna tell you that you can make a chicken quesadilla. And then I can have it because it was rung up online. She's like, yep, that's how it works. I was like, this is the best you got? This is the best you got? And to be honest, I'm telling it in a way where you're, I'm, I'm masking some of the frustration and anger that I was really experiencing at the moment. Again, I was hungry and tired. So it's a bit unbecoming the way I started to treat this person. I started to talk a little more judgy and harsh to her. Like, this is, this is really the best you can do? And I said, um, can I speak to the manager? She goes, yes. Awesome. Is that person here? She goes, I'm the manager. I was like, oh, this is, this is what we got? I got to order online? She goes, yeah. I said, man well, could we make it a burrito, like order it as a burrito? No, I can't do it. And I left that place, y'all, oh, with such frustration and anger. 
It's like, come on. There's two senses of this story. She was keeping the rules, right? Like, this is how it works. Order online. You get the quesadilla. Order in person. You don't. Keep the rules. I'm like, I'm a person. Can you keep me? You have chicken. You have cheese. You have a tortilla. Let's make this. We got this. You and me. But in the other sense, I was also kind of being a a non-people keeper. I was judging her. I was harsh to her. I was frustrated. And I left the restaurant frustrated and angry. And I probably didn't leave with a good, uh, uh, them with a good taste in their mouth. And I I realized as I'm exiting the door in frustration, it's like, oh no, I've got an IBC sticker on my car. (laughs) I got to get out of here before they see that. And so if you're here today, this person, I'm so glad that you're here at church today. You're welcome in this community. And I love Chipotle. I'll continue to order chicken quesadillas. Just order them online. (laughs) This is how the religious heart can knot things up. The experience of keeping people should be life-giving, not knotted up in a system of rules. Mike Mason says in his book, Practicing the Presence of People, God is love and in coming to him, we cannot escape coming through people, other image bearers. There's no separation between the spiritual and the social. The way we feel about people is the way we feel about God. The way we treat people is the way we treat God. It's because people are made in the image of God. The religious heart, the religious heart gets in the way of people keeping. But the second thing that gets in the way of people keeping is the pretender heart. So let me hear you say through the grain fields. Through the grain fields, that's where the religious leaders were. That's where Jesus was with his disciples. But in Mark 3, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Can you say that with me? Into the synagogue. So we're through the grain fields and we're into the synagogue. We're out and about in the everyday places of life. And now we're in the place of worship. And here is what we see. The pretender heart getting in the way of people keeping. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, some of the Pharisees. And and they watched him closely to see if he would heal. Then Jesus asked them, uh, which is, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. In the place of worship, what gets in the way of people keeping is the pretender heart. If the religious people stay on the edge to judge and critique, the pretender people are right in the middle of it all, but they're not really about what it's about. They're right in the middle of the place of worship, but they're not really true and real before, the, before God in worship. Some scholars say that the Pharisees actually sent this man with a shriveled hand as a plant to see what Jesus would do so that they could accuse him. So they're pretending their way into the synagogue, this place of worship on the Sabbath. And they plant this person there potentially because those who had physical disabilities or deformities were often ostracized. And so he most likely would not have been there at this time. And they're there watching closely because, you know, there's, there's people at worship, right? And they're watching closely. And I see this as like, maybe they're like really looking to see like, when is he going to secretly heal this man so that we can accuse him? You know, May 4th, it was Star Wars Day this week. I, I kind of see it as like Jesus, like waving the force hand. He's like, and he's healed. I'm like, oh, he did it right there. Like we saw it, we can accuse him. And Jesus is like, no, you don't have to watch closely. Let's make this the real deal. Hey, you with the hand, come up front in front of everyone. We're going to settle this here. What is the Sabbath about? And he asked him the question, hey, do we do good on the Sabbath? 
or evil? We save life or do we kill? And they remain silent. In the Greek, the sense of that phrase uh, is not that they didn't know the answer because it's an obvious question. They remain silent in an obstinate way. They knew the answer. They're like, no, none of it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer that because Jesus essentially trapped them with this question because Jesus is Jesus and it's amazing. And so he brings the man up front. They're remaining silent. He says, okay, if you're gonna be quiet on the most basic answer, let's do this. Let's do some good. Hey, you stretch out your hand. And the man with a deformed hand was completely restored because on the Sabbath and the Sabbath that we celebrate today as a wisdom principle of New Testament people of God, this day of rest, all of life, a Sabbath before the Lord of of resting in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that the deformity of the human heart by sin can be conformed and stretched out into the life and the kingdom of God. That God would would heal and completely restore, that we might be restored on these days where we, we rest in the provision of God. This is what the Sabbath was about and Jesus demonstrated, stretch out your hand, complete restoration. And it's interesting to note that he said, is it the day where we save life or we kill? And they don't answer. And they head out of the synagogue, out of the place of worship, and they plot a murder. They plot to kill. So they, they made their answer. They had their answer. What'd they do on the Sabbath? They actually did the very thing Jesus said. Do you do this on the Sabbath? Oh, your stubborn hearts that make me so angry and distressed. They went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. You see, people keeping looks like prioritizing real good for people over false good for God. The pretender heart prioritizes doing religious things uh, as a false good for God in the, in the place of worship. They show up in a place and they're right in the middle of it, but they're not really about it. They're not really there surrendered and open to the life of God. The religious heart, the pretender heart, they get in the way of the people keeping heart. So my question for us is, is if we have been given the life-giving spirit and our savior is alive, And he said, I came that you might have life and life to the full, not just in eternity, but here and now as you walk and live into the way and truth of Jesus. How do we live out that life? How do we become a people like Jesus who are people keepers? Or maybe Mary Artemisia Lathbury, maybe this river of life imagery that she loved from John chapter seven. How do we become people with a river heart? That the heart that has the river of God flowing into those desert places and bringing healing, that it might flow out into the desert places of the world and other people's lives, that we might truly have a river of life flowing out, flowing out. How do we become those people? There's a few simple things, basic in scripture. Sometimes we just make it too complicated. Proverbs 3, verse 27 says this, do not withhold good, from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to act. Hey, if you have the ability to bless, find a way to bless. The Pharisees were withholding good from this man with a deformed hand. Jesus says, no, now's the time to do good. Now's the time to keep people. Do not withhold good when you have it in your power to act. And I love this imagery. I call them the 127s. It's Genesis 127. And then further in the New Testament, James 127. Uh, Genesis 127, it says this, God created mankind or humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
So we have the image of God made by our creator. And then James 1, 27, in a sin-sick world, marred by sin, James says this, religion, true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and as faultless is this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to be people keepers and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, the way of the world. Genesis 1, 27, the image of God is made. Gen- or James 1, 27, the image of God cares for other image bearers. Imago Dei, caring for Imago Dei is the missio Dei. It's the mission of God. This is what God is about. It's keeping people. It's more important than keeping religious rules. Eugene Cho, author and humanitarian president of Bread for the World says this, what brings credibility to the gospel is not more hour long sermons. Some of you are like, hey, Jerry, can you read that again and take note? I'm like, it's a key, okay. Not more hour long. Okay, got it, got it. What brings credibility, what brings passion and ultimately belief is seeing the gospel at work, the incarnate gospel. What will move skeptics and cynics and critics are Christians who love God and love their neighbors, including neighbors who don't look like them by willingly and humbly serving their needs. Jesus' disciples were hungry. The man needed healing. The religious heart and the pretender heart got in the way, but the people keeping heart. Mm. That's where the life is at. So how do we have this heart? The first, deepest, truest way that we become a people who are people keepers is that we rest. The Sabbath was a day for rest and the work of Christ is is a call to rest in what he's done to rest that you and I are being kept by Jesus, that he keeps you. He prioritizes your needs. He provides for you. He he knows everything you need in your life and he's committed to keeping you. In fact, Jude in his little letter says this in the doxology, in verse 24 and 25, to him who is able to keep you, from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. How do we become people who are people keepers? We first stop and rest in the secure place that we have in Christ, that we are kept by him. We are held by him. It is not up to us. He said, the work is finished. We are held by Christ. And from that place of being kept by Jesus, we can be a people who keep others. Because if we, if we exit that place of, of resting in Christ and his work on our behalf, if we try and keep people without first being kept by Christ, we turn it into another religious rule where we either judge ourselves because we're not doing too great at it or we're really prideful because we're thinking we're doing well at keeping people. We are kept by Jesus. That's how we become people who keep others. And the second is this. We just embrace what the kingdom life is about through the grain fields and in the synagogue, in the place of worship, out and about in our everyday life with our family, with our friends, with our work, with our leisure. And then here together as the family of God, we embrace what Jesus is about. And it's simply this, learn to do right seek justice, take care of people. So my question for you 
as we close is, where's your heart? What gets in the way of the people keeping heart for you? Is it the religious heart? Is it the pretender heart? Is it bundled together? Because Jesus said, I came to give you life. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That means if we're experiencing the life of Jesus, we live in the way of Jesus, guided by the truth of Jesus. We need, we need Jesus. So where's your heart? How you doing? I'd like to close in prayer and just give us a moment uh, before the Lord together as his people to consider that. So if you would, would you, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time together and Holy Spirit, we honor your presence. God, would you reveal where we're at today? Have we let, I don't know, this, this religious heart get in the way? Are we trying to get it all right when only Jesus did? God, are we in this place today and maybe we're just pretending, maybe we're tired of the show that we've been trying to put on for you and for others? And God, would you reveal to us the invitation, the the gift of Jesus that we can have life and life to the full with you, with that river heart that overflows, sets the captives free, keeps people. Lord, we thank you that we are kept by Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.